Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Jeff Hassamer. Jeff is a forward-thinking marketing executive and strategist who leads the marketing and product management teams at Adaptgen. He has over 20 years of experience helping organizations elevate their market position and reinvigorate their product development. Jeff serves as the CMO, where he helps companies bring their core systems to life through application integration. Jeff holds a Bachelor of Arts in Economics and Business and a certification in Successful Product Management and Pricing Strategies in a Competitive Environment. Jeff is also a prominent member of the Association of International Product Marketing and Management. Jeff, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Brandy. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for joining me. I am super excited about our topic today. But before we jump into that, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So what overused word would you like to get rid of forever? Well, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I think the word I really don't like is growth hacking. Ah, yes. I think that one has come up before yeah. um, in that we don't want to try to to hack growth. Uh, why don't you like that word? Well, I think it implies that marketing is an event and it's just a singular thing. You come up with a great idea and you can start to grow. But I think we all know as marketers that marketing really is a long, long um environment where we have to continue to be could create value for our customers over time to actually have a real impact on growth right we can do things at a short period but short short answers lead to short growth it doesn't yeah. give you that long-term play and, and to hack it you know it's not really hacking right it's it's really just coming up with a decent idea a creative idea that works in the moment but if you don't do anything long term with that, it's it's worthless. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And if I think about my own career, I have pretty much always played the long game. Like my mm -hmm. strength really is in the long plays. And uh, I have found that, you know, I have less success in just that, you know, how do we hit some button that's going to drive some magic uh, as opposed to like, you know, the marathon, as opposed to the sprint, just using another overused term. Yeah. You know, I wish I could say I always did that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think we all cave to that, that stress of the moment or, you know, you have your VC investor that says, go do this. And, and you, you cave into that moment, but I'll tell you what, if I've learned that lesson once, I've learned it a hundred times where, it just doesn't work. You got to stay on the long game and the long game produces real results. 
real results. Agreed. And <laughs> now that we've gotten that off our chest, we're definitely going to talk about something else that is long game. So mm -hmm. tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? Well, I want to talk about email marketing and the capability and the and the love that I've had for it for years. Um, but also, you know, how do we get the most out of that in today's world? Using some tactics that that are long, um, long standing and actually work. Yes. And I was gonna say email marketing has been my passion for many, many years. It's it's where a lot of I can't say it's where my marketing career started, but it was uh, where I started to thrive, so to speak, is, is when marketing automation and email got big. And um, I know I had the privilege of hearing some of the outcomes that you have had with email marketing. And I was like, oh, I got to talk to you because, you know, email is not the super sexy thing. You know, it's not the, the hot thing in the streets anymore. And so a lot of times people don't necessarily want to even think about it or, or give too much attention to it. Um, but before we dive in, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they should expect from our discussion today. Um, so what's your intention? What's your best hopes for what people will take away from our conversation? Well, you know, I, I hope that they, that we, we got out of here when, when I'm finished here, that people understand the more value we create for our customers, the more value we create for our business as well. And so the longer you can do that um, and the more that you can take that tack, the more successful you're going to be, not just in email marketing, but I think across the board. Awesome. Um, so I'd like to start with, I know you've got a lot of experience in email from working in an agency setting to your work, um, you know, as a head of marketing. So <laughs> I'd like to start with just, you know, give our audience an understanding of what's been your overall experience um, and some of the things that you've learned along the way. And then I can dig in from there. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe it helps to set um, my background in email marketing. Um, like yourself, I was there at the beginning. I was I worked for some of the companies that actually founded and built the first email marketing tools that we used back in 1999, 2000. Um, I worked for companies like Responsys, which is now underpinning Oracle. Um, I ran product management for Cheetah Mail, <laughs> Experian Marketing Services. Um, so I've been around email quite a long, quite a long time. Um, <clears throat> and really, you know, the principles that we've always applied to core direct marketing have always worked in email, <clears throat> but there's always this draw for us to take a shortcut and for us to, as marketers to, I think, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Damage the, um, the outcome of what email can do or undermine the outcomes of what email can do because we take shortcuts. Uh, so tell me, I want to hear a little bit more. What are some of the shortcuts? Because I've got some thoughts, because as you're saying that, I'm like, yes, I'm like, I'm thinking of this situation, this situation. But I'd like to hear, what are some of the shortcuts that you've seen happen? Well, you know, here's the thing. I can't tell you how many times when I was, when I was at ESP and you're trying to tell your customer to segment your list, right? 
and your customer says, well, why should I segment the list? It doesn't cost me anything to mail more. <laughs> and the point isn't about the, the cost for it, or there's actually a hidden cost. The hidden cost is that <clears throat> you lose your customer's attention and you lose your customer's um, value, time and energy, and they stop listening to you. And if you look at what's happened over the last two plus decades of email marketing, do you remember when we started doing this in 2000, we had huge open rates and huge response rates to email. And it was so much fun because you pushed the button and you got money back, right? <laughs> we still do that, but it's so much harder today. And a lot of that is because I think what we did <clears throat> over time was we kind of, for lack of a better word, bastardized some of the core terms of email marketing, like permission. And what, what does permission mean, right? Um, for example, and I think, I don't know, do you want me to jump into what permission means to me? Yeah, okay. I, say, <laughs> I don't want to talk too much, but the, um, you know, you go back to Seth Godin's definition of permission and what that was all about. And I don't know if you've read his permission marketing book from 99, but to me, it's a bit of a Bible. Um, you know, you offer your prospect a reason to give you their attention. And then you use that attention to give them relevant information. And you need to constantly um, reinforce the incentive to stay and make your investment in the relationship. It's not just them raising their hand to say, I want to hear from you and you then bombarding them with emails. It's making sure that you're investing in that and giving as much as you're getting out of that relationship. Because the more you do that, the, lo the longer term you're going to have with that person. So <clears throat> permission isn't just about getting a green light to send an email to somebody. It's really about getting and maintaining their attention and giving them something of value every time we touch them with that. And I love that. Um, and that was why you, you gave me exactly what I was hoping for and why I wanted you to define permission, because you know, with all of the compliance and privacy laws, a lot of times people think about permission as I have legal permission to right. send this email. And that's one piece, like that's important. Don't want to discount that at all. But, you know, when you're looking at email marketing, and I love that you use the three R's, I love alliteration. So give mm -hmm. them a reason to give you your attention relevant info once they have and then reinforce their relationship. And that does lend to segmentation. I know here at Tegrita, we use the term hyper-targeted segmentation because that's what we believe to be the most effective is when an email is sent and it comes across as if you wrote it specifically for that recipient even though you may be sending it to thousands of people. Um, and that is that reinforce it and, and, you know, reinforcing the relationship, providing relevant information. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, segmentation isn't necessarily just about that too. Sometimes it's about timing as well. And how often you send somebody, I, I remember a conversation I had years ago with a, with a marketer that, um, they were kind of a, they were a retail shop that did special offers and their average number of sends per day were 3.5. So they would send to a list of about 10 million people 
3.5 times per day. Wow. <laughs> I can see you getting scared already. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, and here was the crazy part about it. So we did a segmentation for them and we, we showed them that 65% of their list absolutely tuned out. They just never opened the email anymore. Only about 10% of their list actually responded to those almost every time, right? Then there was a group in between that would respond every few weeks or so within that type of environment. We went there and we said, you know, if you did it this way, stop emailing the 65%. Continue, continue your five contacts a day to this 10% that love this and really want to continue this, but maybe slow down your role on these, these people in the middle and contact them a little bit less. Not only are you going to save millions in email marketing fees, you're actually going to improve your revenue across the board. And, you know, we spent maybe two hours going through the data with them. And I remember very distinctly, the guy goes, yeah, no, I think we just need to mail more. <laughs> well, I've had that conversation a time or two. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty frustrating. I almost I almost quit email marketing that day. Yeah, it is because there isn't a cost per send right. like there is with almost every other type of marketing, like whether it be direct mail, you know, your ads, even events, like, you know, the cost to sponsor an event is directly tied to the number of people that you're going to be exposed to. Email is that one thing where whether it's 1000 or 100,000, like the cost difference for the actual send um, is minimal because it's basically the technology cost. And so there is this misconception that the answer is always send more email. Um, and, you know, that's in general, never the answer, uh, <laughs> unless you're not sending anything. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, but I want to hear from you some of the examples, because I know, you know, there are some people that I talk to and I have this conversation and they're like, yeah, I get it. I need to segment you know, we try our best to not just hammer people with emails and, and be good email marketers. Um, but I think the the key that I struggle to drive home, and I'd love to hear your take, is what it looks like when people really get email right. Um, and that connection to revenue, you know, and not just the communication channel, but what have you seen or experienced in terms of the tangible business benefit when you get email right? Yeah, well, <clears throat> um, let me start here a little bit to get to where, you're, where you want to go, though. So I, I think I always start with a philosophy. And that philosophy is um, money flows in the direction of value, Right. So when I start with a new company or I start the program, I usually am teaching my marketers to say, we're not going to touch anybody. We're not going to talk to anybody unless we have something of value to give them first. Now, that might be a discount. Sure. It could be the product in some way, shape or form. Most of the time, it's about educating them on how to use it or educating them on a topic that is relevant to what we have to offer within that environment. And so with that, um, 
what you need to do is, is you need to have a few things in place. First of all, you have to listen to your ESP quite a bit. Like number one, these guys work with thousands of people. They know what works and what doesn't work. And so I'd have to say, start there, listen to your ESP, but also um, make sure your list is clean. Right. Um, So if you're, if your list isn't clean and you're continuing to mail people that don't respond to you, you have a tendency to end up in the junk folders. You have a tendency to end up in places where you're not really seen and it limits your open rates. It limits your, your response rates and your click throughs and all that kind of stuff. But if you're willing to take the risk of not mailing as much and, and limiting your list, what you see is very, very clear. And this getting to your metrics, you see much higher open rates than if you're mailing to the larger group. So it starts with, you know, being relevant, getting your, getting your email seen. Um, when you send to people that aren't opening your email, the, ES, the ISPs realize that and see that and just keep moving your email into the junk folder, even for people that want to see it, right? So if your list is clean, you tend to end up in the, in the, in the folder where you get seen and you tend to be opened a lot more. If you tend to be opened a lot more by people who are willing to listen to your message, they tend to click through a lot more, um, especially if you're also giving them value in every connection that you're that you're making for them. So, you know, you're you're educating them, you're giving them something that they want to see. They're going to click through more often. I've seen like um, recent company I was I was a fractional CMO at. We were redid this where. We called our list first, dropped it by about 45%, which is a little scary to start with. And I can tell you that the CEO was very freaked out when I did that. Um, But in the end, because our open rates were higher, because we were offering relevant information, our click-through rates tripled and our revenue per email um, almost doubled across the board. And, and in the end, we ended up making more money on our email um, than we did when we were sending to the entire list. Now, what's beautiful about that is now it became a lot more predictable. When we would send an email, you could pretty much count on the revenue that would come in. So you can forecast that a little bit better. And you can actually understand, you know, what, no, how much, re- you know, now you really get into that world where you push the button and the money comes in. because you know you can count on what it's going to come into and you generally know what your inbox rates are and all that kind of stuff because you're clean yeah and i know like i have seen similar things happen and i know the argument that i hear back is that that works great in retail that works great in b2b if it's more of a transactional uh, type sale. And so it's very much a, that's great for them, but (laughs) I'm in B2B high, you know, decision-making large dollar purchase. It's a committee buying, you know, that's not how it works over here. And so I'd love your thoughts uh, and whether you agree or your counterpoints in how this level of predictability and tie to revenue can exist 
when it is something that is less transactional and more of a decision sale? Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, I think those people that say that are are kidding themselves, right? I mean, <laughs> we... I, I think we tend to always say, and you know, on the vendor, those of us who have been on the vendor side of this equation, how many times have we heard, oh no, we're different, right? We're so different than everybody else. And you're like, mm, yeah, not so much, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. That's the secret. You don't, you can't really tell your, your clients, but I can do in this kind of forum because, you know, I don't care who I offend necessarily because <laughs> <laughs> they're not necessarily giving me money. But here's the way I would counter that, or, or at least what, what I've seen in, in my, my environment when I have a longer sales cycle. So right now, in the company I'm working for at Adaptogen, our sales cycle is probably six to nine months, right? <clears throat> um, but here's the thing. Not everybody is ready to buy your product today, right? The key with email in that type of environment is is twofold. One, to stay top of mind, right? And in order to stay top of mind, you have to give maybe a regular communication, like a newsletter that's offering value and education on what they should be doing in the market or what they could be doing um, in, in the environment. So when they are ready to make that purchase decision, you are definitely in the consideration space. The second way that you be, you should be using email in that environment is in, in a nurturing environment, right? So if you did get them to your website and they did consume a piece of your content, I often like to run a trigger campaign off of that. So usually three to six contacts um, spaced apart so that you're not hitting them every day but it's more relevant to what they downloaded. And then how are they reacting to your emails at that point? So if I downloaded, um, you know, on topic A, I'm going to give them a string that's going to stay on topic A, right? And I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to give them another piece of white paper, another blog article to, to come back and read, maybe in, in a, maybe a pricing tool or a, ROI calculator that they could use. Some of these tools that get them back on the website so we can track, are they really interested? Are they digging in? And if you're really good with this, you start to bring that data in with maybe Sixth Sense data or other data of what their intent is to start to measure their intent to purchase. So if you can put in intent to purchase into that, string there with getting them back to your site and seeing what they're doing on the, on the rest of the internet, that intent is where you really generate a high quality lead versus just sending, you know, every contact that you make down to your sales team so that they can smile and dial and hang up on 95% of them. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, that has been my experience as well is that, you know, even though the, the tighter revenue is not as linear between, mm -hmm. you know, email and the revenue when it is more of a decision sale, I do feel like the longer the sales cycle, the more important the role of email, because you do have to, to stay in front of those right people. There's going to be new people in the buying committee that engage at different points. Um, and then I think the other thing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is 
in thinking about all of the other efforts that we do and the things that we do spend money on, all of those drive to email. Like if mm -hmm. we are running PPC or we're running display or we're doing events, like there is some component of follow-up that has to happen after that before they're ready to go to sales. And so I've always felt like companies who don't give the attention to really getting email right are actually reducing the impact of all the other money that they're spending on all these other things, which is where the bulk of you know, the marketing budget goes, it's totally. like you spend all this money on this and then you kind of just let it fall flat. And so yeah. I'd love to hear some of your your thoughts and your take on that as well. Well, yeah, I mean, along those lines, you, you get them to your website, you get them to raise their hand and say, this is who I am. What do you do? <laughs> right? Do you just sit on that or do you get into a, a very strong email program that is giving them more information about what they were looking for in the first place. Um, and that's where I think if you, if you can tie those things together and use your email for nurturing and being, and again, being relevant. So one thing I'm trying now too, I've never done this before, but I, when getting excited about this idea is creating. Um, so there's about six modules in our, in our product that are very interesting. And depending on our sales cycle, you could be talking about one module in, in any given demo, but you generally won't do it all, you know, do all six modules in one demo, right? So we're creating sales-driven emails where once they talk about that in, in a meeting, they can come back into Salesforce and trigger off an email that reinforces what they talked about in the meeting as well. So those types of nurturing programs, I think, become extremely valuable in a long decision cycle because you're continually educating and, again, offering value with every contact to your prospect and, and to your customer. Yeah, and you hit on a really key point, which is the, the last thing I really want to dig into is this is where alignment is really important because where I see a lot of email nurturers fail is where marketing puts together these great nurtures, they may be relevant and add value and you know all the things we've talked about that makes for good email marketing, but it is not aligned to what sales is doing or how the sales process flows. And so there becomes this disconnect mm -hmm. where the email is not actually helping to drive the sales conversation forward. And the example that you just gave is, you know, I think a great one in terms of alignment of sales has done this thing and there is this nurture um, that can support based on what they've already done. And, you know, having that information, you can continue the conversation, all of the things. Yeah. Um, and so any thoughts or advice on how you are, you know, building out your, you know, flexing your email muscle in a way that does have that alignment so that you are leading directly to revenue. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you, you hit the nail on the head. If you're not aligned to sales and you're not, it, and you're not in service of them, um, you you're offering, you know, marketing's playing over here and sales is playing over here. Right. And never, never the two shall meet. But for me, 
personally, I've always taken the tact of, and this is kind of my leadership style too, marketing is in service of sales, right? Our job is to give them, make their jobs easy as possible because their jobs are hard, right? So if we can make their job as easy as possible by giving them the tools and their capabilities to succeed, we win as a team. And so when I create a program like that, or, or we're, well, first of all, when we're building our funnels, there is no marketing funnel and sales funnel in our world. It's all one funnel. Um, and then when we create a program, like what I was talking about before, we did that in conjunction with sales. So what would you guys like? And if I did this, would that work for you? Would you use it kind of things? And then when you, you know, then, you know, if you can report back on, hey, how did that work for you? And, and that kind of feedback loop, getting that going, you can be more, much more successful than if you're trying to do that all on your own, right? I love that. And for those listening, after you finish this episode with Jeff, I encourage you to go back to episode 38 with Amelia and Tara, where we talked a bit more about that marketing and sales alignment. Uh, I had a little bit of a battle between the two that ended up not being much of a battle. But uh, that that's a, a good next one because yeah. yeah, I do I do agree where I've been successful in it is having the conversation with sales and being able to ask, where is the process hard? You know, where is it that you wish your prospects had more information? You know, is it going into the demo? You wish they knew certain things coming out of the demo. You know, is it that they had the tangible things to take to the, you know, procurement team or the legal team right. or, you know, it's like all of these different things and really hearing what are the bottlenecks and roadblocks that sales experiences because that has always been key places that, you know, email and marketing in general, but especially email can lean in to support, to try to, you know, ease the pain, move things faster, like, you know, accelerating velocity of an opportunity yeah. um, it is, you know, a key win for email. It's not necessarily driving revenue that wouldn't have come in. It's driving it faster. Truth, Brandy, truth. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been like awesome, but talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us the homework. And so I always like to make sure that our listeners walk away with that one thing if someone is recognizing that they are missing the mark um, in driving revenue, leveraging email, what is the first step? What's that one thing that they should do coming out of this conversation? So I'm going to go back to that philosophy I start with. Money flows in the direction of value, right? So if there's one takeaway from this, and this should cross all of your marketing, Every time you interact with your customer, give value first. The more you give, the more you get, without a doubt. And that's true in life, by the way, too. Like the more yeah. you put out, the, what what you put out in the world will come back to you tenfold. And I love it. Um, so that is our action item: is to really take a close look at what you've got running today, and really be take a critical eye of 
are you really giving value? And, you know, I know just because I rewrite a lot of my clients' emails that there are so many marketers, uh, especially product marketers, uh, where it's a lot of blah, blah, blah. My product is great. Look at this. Oh, yeah. Look at that. And we feel like it's value because that's what we want to talk about. But... <laughs> We on love the to other talk about end, ourselves, don't we? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, not so much. And and so, you know, that giving value first and doing a little bit of that gut check of how well you are doing that. Um, I, I love that as a next step. Um, and that really can apply in all of your marketing efforts and not mm -hmm. just email. Truth. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, Jeff, I have enjoyed our discussion today. Um but that's our time. Um, and before we go, how can people connect with you? Um, well, I, hopefully we uh, give our, our information here. Um, definitely on LinkedIn. Don't spend a whole lot of time on Twitter. So, but you can find me on LinkedIn at Jeff Hasmer. Um, you, uh, and it's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Or if you're in the CMO coffee talk, I'm always on there. I love that thing. Um, Yes, so, uh, I was going to say, total shameless plug for Coffee Talk. Yeah, uh, shameless plug for Coffee Talk. It's awesome. What a great network. So you can DM me on Slack in there as well. Perfect. Yes, I've had a lot of Coffee Talkers on the show, um, including Matt Hines, uh, oh, episode yeah. 14 as well. But yeah, we will link to your LinkedIn uh, in the show notes. So wherever you are listening or watching this podcast, you can connect with Jeff. Um, and in general, I never do a shameless plug for Tegrita because that's not what we're here for, but this is totally our wheelhouse. Um, so I will say that if you are struggling with the inbox enlightenment and how to make the most out of your email marketing programs, that is what we do. And I would love to talk to you regarding that, you know, where to find me. Um, but Jeff, thank you so, so much for joining me and thank everyone for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed my conversation with Jeff. We will see you next time. Take care. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.